Hello and welcome to Absolutely Fabulous. We are Papagena, a five-piece women's a cappella group, and this podcast is a bit of a peek into the minds of the singers of the group. We are Abby, Susie, Sarah, Lizzie, and another Susie. And in each podcast, we have a chat about our experience as a female vocal ensemble trying to make it in the classical music world. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Absolutely Fabulous. We are Papagena, a five-piece women's a cappella group, and this podcast is a bit of a peek into the minds of the singers of the group. We are Abby, Susie, Sarah, Lizzie, and another Susie. And in each podcast, we have a chat about our experience as a female vocal ensemble trying to make it in the classical music world. If you enjoy what you hear and want to know more, please visit our website, papagena.co.uk, or check out our social media channels at Papagena Singers. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to uh, podcast number four, Absolutely Fabulous. Today we're going to be talking about repertoire and how we choose some of our repertoire. And we've got a shout out to the industry again. We were talking... um the other day weren't we about how we choose repertoire um i i think that one of the things that starts us off in our quest uh for repertoire is the fact that we are very much a performance-based group and yes we're looking for music that we'll enjoy singing and that will come across well but we've also always got in mind how we're going to be uh connecting with the audience with whatever piece we're singing um how we're going to be using the space that we're singing in um, and it's about so much more than just choosing pieces of music. Um, I think that's always at the back of our minds when we're first thinking about what we want to do together. Yeah, It's really helpful isn't it when we know the performance space that we're going to be singing in because that almost starts suggesting pieces to us. Do you remember when we did a concert in Nottingham Cathedral and they warned us in advance that the acoustic was going to be really swimmy. And so that automatically mm. meant that we started thinking about how we could use this, the space, perhaps choosing pieces with echo effects, um, really make make use of that building's echo um, rather than choose repertoire where we'd be fighting it all the way through. And uh, yeah. you can think of several venues where, which have actually had a big influence on how we, how we programme. Yeah, and it keeps it lively. When we arrive on the day, we have to make decisions based on how we're going to use the particular space. We're not always warned in advance. And it just means it's really fresh because we don't we don't necessarily know what we're going to do and we don't know how it's going to work. Also, mm. when an audience comes in, you know, that, that can change the acoustics of the place we're singing in. So we'll just have to respond in the moment of the performance, which is exciting and yeah, that's lively. Right. <laughs> the audience really help with that as well, don't they? Depending on yeah. their mood and how they respond sure. to us. Although those pesky audience members do sort of 
swallow the sound quite often. Do you remember that concert at Wem Town Hall (laughs) where um, we walked in expecting this lovely big town hall and it was more like a sort of cabaret um, place with loads of tables and uh, absolutely dead acoustic and we ended up having to sing um, some very swishy music that would have really lent itself to Nottingham Cathedral um, (laughs) in a completely dry acoustic and trying to make something of it. So it can have its benefits, uh, but it can also be quite challenging. Yeah. think it's quite good to have that challenge sometimes you sort of having to although you haven't got that swimmy acoustic you still have to sing those pieces that you would ideally be singing in a swimmy acoustic but you have to make yourself just sing them as you would in that same acoustic and just get over the fact that it feels so dry and so scary it's it's kind of good for us I think yeah mm-hmm. absolutely sometimes I think the promoters have a big effect on on how we choose our repertoire, don't they? Because it's always easier to program if you've got some kind of boundary. Yeah. Um, if somebody says to us, you can do whatever you like, that's a nightmare because, you know, where do you stop? How on earth do you begin even to make some choices? So I find yeah. those those confines that the promoter sometimes puts on us really, really creative, actually. Mm. Um, mm. I guess we, we set our own boundaries in those situations, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I suppose one of the things that's kept our programmes quite fresh as well has been the fact that we've had many 
um, returns to some of the places. We said in the last po- a couple of podcasts ago that we often go back to places that um, that we've had a good audience and to build on that audience. And uh, and that means that we can't just keep taking the same programme back. Um, so our Nuns and Roses programme, we, we definitely can't do anywhere near Oxford uh, anymore because we've done it <laughs> so many times. Um, but that, that means that we've, we've got it fresh and, you know, our still moving programme um, will be something that we can bring there a bit later, yeah. hopefully this year. Yeah. I love the fact that we um, don't care what um, genre we sing in. Um, you know, if, if if we're looking for a particular feel of a piece or we've got an idea that perhaps we might want to explore a sea shanty or something, we don't really care if it's in a, in a genre that, that it doesn't sound too classical because what we then do is turn it into a form that makes it viable for us to sing. Papify it. We papify it. It's <laughs> a great verb. And you always manage to find amazing pieces from all over the world. I always find it incredible that you, I don't know what, how or where you source these pieces from, but... <laughs> many, many wasted hours just uh, allowing myself to go down avenues online. Definitely um, not wasted hours. No way. <laughs> But I think we all do. You you all suggest um, pieces, you know, oh, have you heard this? Have you heard that? You know, groups I've never heard of. Of course, none of us will have heard of everything. So it's why when you've got five brains and five sets of ears and experiences all feeding into the programming, that I think you get some interesting ideas. There have been occasions where one of you has suggested something and I've gone, no, that won't work. And then... Actually, I'll really listen to it properly. Like, hmm, perhaps that might work. <laughs> it's uh, it's be- becoming convinced yeah. because of your passion for a, a particular piece or artist. Can you think mm. of a piece where that's happened? Though? Well, I mean, Kate Rosby. I'd never, you know, this is going to sound incredibly uh-huh. ignorant, but I hadn't heard of Kate Rosby. And then Susie, you then said, "Oh, I, you know, well, how about this piece by Kate Rosby?" And and you then transformed it because when you originally played it to me, I wasn't sure. I couldn't. I wasn't sure about it, and uh, but then you transformed it. Well, you very politely hid that. <laughs> well, you you then sent a few bars over of of your transformation. I thought I thought, oh yeah, right. I can I can hear mm. it now, but I couldn't hear it originally. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful. I love seeing. I can't. That. I can't. Yeah, wait to I can't that again. wait to perform yeah. that. It's just mm. yeah. To be fair, I'm going to have to put up my hands and say that that was my mate Fiona that just said, oh, have you played any Kate Rusby? And she she sent me this track, or, or I think we were driving along and she played it. And I said, oh, well, that could work. Mm. A bit like um, Changeling's Lullaby. Um, my, it was my auntie who just said, oh, I think, you know, you'd really like this. Um, mm. And she's a big fan of Lady Masery, so... Yeah, you know all of these pieces. They come from somewhere, and the fact all of you at some point have said, "Oh, we should do an arrangement of." What was it, Abby? You said something amazing at Christmas. Golden Eye, Tina Turner. I'm desperate oh, yeah. to hear Susie P sing and and Sarah sing Golden Eye. <laughs> well, the rest of us doing that. Oh yeah, background. It's going to be. Awesome. I'm desperate for Susie to arrange some Kate Bush for us. Yeah. I've got a list as long as my arm of things that I might be able mm. to arrange at some point in my life. And of course, we do like to, you know sometimes think of the audience as well when we're arranging yeah something weird's going on isn't it what is that raf benson is doing a fly past at the moment seriously there's three chinook three chinook helicopters have gone oh fun god i thought it was something to do with my computer me too abby thought it was something to do with her computer i could see (laughs) 
Lizzie, you were, you were about to say something very insightful when the chiddock went over. <laughs> I think we should definitely mention the fact that we've just been interrupted by a, a herd of chinooks. What's the collective <laughs> collective <laughs> noun for? <laughs> it's actually really important also to think about the audience when we're choosing programmes, obviously. I mean, we do often do arrangements of... Um, things that we know people will really embrace and really like. Um, Your Carol of the Bells was one of those. Yes, the Carol of the Bells was good. get inspired by composers that we've we've discovered i mean sarah you had this amazing discovery of, of vinnie bruckner vinnie bruckner oh, Vinny, and yeah. i can't remember when it was that i first heard oyozuline's heart i just must have been googling female voice groups in europe and her group Nineveh came up and goodness me they did a, a christmas disc full of really fresh um, arrangements and what I loved about them was that they were classically based Vinnie Bruckner is a classically trained um, composer she lives in Berlin but her real passion is jazz so I love that combination of the classical sound world which I could kind of imagine us doing but really jazzed up harmonies and intriguing rhythms um, so, yeah, I think once we discovered that disc, we, we basically bought the book <laughs> of her music and we've been steadily working through it. But, yeah, yeah her awesome. stuff is just really fresh, isn't it? It's, it's, um, and I also love, I can't help loving the fact that she's an alto too and she sings so low. And <laughs> it's helped inspire me to think, yeah, I can, I can have a go at those crazy low notes and thank you for writing them. <laughs> she writes quite relentless alto one parts though, doesn't she? Yeah, your part is particularly relentless. Don't you have to oh. go dung duck a dunk dunk for about like half an hour? Yeah, it's very <laughs> difficult not to kind of start dribbling on the floor with no break. Yes, <laughs> you just desperately need to swallow. Yeah, just get to the end. It's a bit really. It's a bit like singing some taverna songs where you're just singing like a soprano, just singing, <laughs> ah, for yeah. like a hundred years, and like again that dribble thing yeah. happens sometimes. Nice. <laughs> 
And then you think, do I swallow and break the piece, or do I just keep singing and then risk the fact that eventually your mouth will just go? Eh? <laughs> it's a bit like having work well, done at the dentist, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you need someone to stick one of those dental nurse vacuum cleaners into your while you're singing. Dental mouth. nurse vacuum cleaner, so you can continue to sing seamlessly. Or you just need one other singer on your part so that you can actually go and swallow. <laughs> because it's important. When you're doing one per with part, that sound you know, with that sound effect. The alternative is that we could all wear little bibs with, with our logo Have a game on. of bibs. Just like dribble bibs. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think people are going to get the impression that we're a really dribbly group, but I think we're, not, we're talking about one <laughs> and if you're a singer you will all understand this plight you will all know what we're talking find really hard to find in our repertoire is is humorous pieces and you know we've we've talked about our Catelyn Moran woman's if that we ended up having to commission Jim Clements to write um but really finding funny funny and genuinely fun funny Mm. genuinely funny pieces is such a challenge yeah yeah Yeah. it really is um Sarah you wrote uh do you remember you did a, a good king Wenceslas Two or three years ago, and you oh, rewrote gold. the words, oh, yeah. and there was some cool. We were desperate, weren't we, for something funny at Christmas? And in the end, um, just couldn't find the right thing. And um, Paul, my husband, who's got a, a, a good turn of phrase um, and a way with words, just rewrote. There, there was some MP I can't remember his name who was in real trouble at the time, and Paul wrapped uh, that MP's. <laughs> Faux pas, I think he'd had an affair or something, um, into the storyline of Good King Wenceslas. And that, yeah, that saved us. <laughs> but, oh, that was brilliant. I loved singing that. It was really fun. 
It is hard. I mean, why is so much vocal music, especially now, it seems slow-paced, um, a bit sugar-sweet, uh, a bit sentimental. There's a, there's a real fashion for it, isn't it? But from a programming point of view, that's really dull. You can't have wall-to-wall pieces like that. It, it's just hard to cut in really fun rhythmic pieces. I, I think... Um, I think one of the things that's really handy is that Abby and Susie Perkis have both got quite um, dramatic voices. And I think, you know, that lends itself to something faster paced and a bit more quirky and a bit more, um, how can Mm -hmm. I put it? Um, Yeah, just overtly dramatic uh, for the audience to listen to. Things like God Says Yes. So yes, that was a, a great piece, mm, wasn't it? Sort of big jazzy find. kind of, and the fact that it's um, God's a woman as well. I mean, that's just perfect. And she <laughs> said, "Wasn't there a female um, priest in the church the first time we sang it who gave us a big mm. thumbs up when we said yeah. sang that?" I think there was. I think uh, I've got a feeling it was in Oxford. Um, and uh, a friend of mine had bought, brought along a, a priest from one of the colleges, a female priest. And, yeah, when she heard it, it was just like, thumbs up. <laughs> mm. um, and we're talking about a line, aren't we? And, and God God says basically, you know, have fun. And then she said, i.e. God, is, is a female. Yeah. And it always comes as a surprise because the piece has already been going on for about a page before you before the big reveal that God is, is female yeah. is, uh, is let out of the mm. back. Although sometimes um, you say that and you expect this little laugh, and I can't remember which audience it was, but there was one very memorable one where they went, and she said, and everyone went, total silence. <laughs> 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 when it's worse when you're expecting a laugh, you know, you get pieces where they the audience laugh in exactly the same bit each time, and then when they don't, you're almost like, oh, you just get a little bit put off what you're singing because you're like, hang on, they normally laugh there. <laughs> What's changed? <laughs> <laughs> and the reverse. Do you remember in Changeling's Lullaby? Um, we've we sing that piece so often, and it's a very tender piece. But there's one verse at the end of which the Ooh. audience always laughs, and you think it's we really don't find sad. that funny at all. But... It's, it, which bit is that? Is it? You say, "I I wish that you will love me like your father used to do." So really Ooh. sad, and they're all like, <laughs> "So love it." <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> Another composer that I think we're quite drawn to is Don McDonald. We've sung quite a few mm. of his pieces, um, Moonset and um, When the Earth Stands Still. Oh, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And I don't know why it's his, what, what it is about his writing that draws us to him, but we really love his stuff and audiences love it too. Yeah. Is When the Earth Stands Still a piece written for choir? I think all his pieces are intended for choir because, um, as we all know from trying to breathe, um, there's nowhere to breathe. The phrases are really long. So, yeah, we we have to be quite canny, don't we, when we perform. The harmonies are really rich, aren't they? They're really rich. I I gather he writes quite a lot of film music, so I think he's got that knack of of setting an atmosphere really beautifully. Um, Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, his, his set moon set, um, that's become one of our favourite pieces, hasn't it? And it's got a really powerful effect on the audience, I think.
Yeah, I just love the ending of it as well. It's just I think it's Lizzie's voice. You just sing yeah. that one little note, and it just disappears into nothing. The pressure of you know not being in well, my own bedroom. <laughs> you've, be- you've become the final note specialist, haven't you, Lizzie? Yeah, I she think. Is. And it's always a D. And what, what's the other <laughs> one that you do, Lizzie? John Duggan, the John Duggan. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, very dissimilar. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I love a good din. <laughs> Dim on a D. It's worth saying at this point in the podcast that this has got nothing to do with pornography and it's actually to do with um, our love for Sarah's husband, Paul. Paul. L, who is really lovely. Um, and uh, Anna, it's our opportunity to really give a shout out to those people who've really helped Papagena um, and uh, that we have a lot of love for. So t- this week we're going to talk about the Orchestra of the Swan. Hooray! Yay! So the Orchestra of the Swan have been great for us as a group. They've been really supportive. Um, we've worked with them on numerous projects. Um, I think our first project with them was the Christmas collaboration um, where Sarah and I met up with David Page and sat in a room with him with our albums and some, and Spotify and uh, various scores that we had and realised very quickly we were kindred spirits in the way that we collaborated and made music kind of come together. Sarah, do you remember that meeting? I loved that meeting um, because it was so exciting to meet somebody who programmes, has the same weird segues in mind that we do. So David LePage very much makes pieces collide and juxtaposes all genres of music um, and he's open to all ideas it's, it's a very open-ended mm. way of programming but you just let your inspiration take you on a journey and um, it, it's just um, so inspiring to have a meeting with somebody whose brain seems to operate on the same way as, as ours um, and we had not had up to then an opportunity to collaborate with an orchestra. So to have this orchestra saying, yes, we really want to work with you and, and let's see how we can together interweave pieces um, or make pieces crash into each other in, in an inventive way. It was really, really exciting. I think it, we both felt very on fire after, mm. <laughs> after that meeting. And oh, he's yeah. just such a wonderful violinist. It was just Incredible. amazing watching him watching him yeah. play and the orchestra are just amazing musicians and they were lovely with us they were lovely to us they didn't treat us like you know sometimes if you're working with an orchestra you don't really get to meet them properly because you're singing in in a different area of the building or something but this just felt like one big team and it was yeah. it was a real it was definite collaboration wasn't it yeah i just remember looking round at the four of you as the orchestra started playing in our first rehearsal and just feeling this immense sense of overwhelming like gratitude mm. and happiness because the sound that they made was so rich and and then to sing over it um, I think we did two concerts one was at the Stratford Playhouse and the other was at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire in their concert hall and to get to sing it's such a brilliant program and then also have the songs that we knew really well that we'd recorded for The Darkest Midnight starting to come alive with strings and harp mm. and percussion. <gasps> it was a dream come true. It was magical, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. And si- and since then, of course, we've um, we've did another we did another collaboration um, in 2020. We did uh, some summer music, uh, which actually got moved to October, but that was just as lovely. Um, and again, it was an opportunity for us to flex our arranging muscles and <laughs> have a go at rewriting some of the pieces. I would say a highlight for me was Sarah's incredible arrangement of I Saw Three Ships in that Christmas concert. <laughs> oh, you wrote the introduction, though, Susie. You had the idea of, of that kind of calling, antiphonal calling, didn't you? We're, let's hope we can record that with them, um, because we are hoping to do a Christmas recording. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Our collaboration with them will continue. They're a wonderful group. and um, we, we Great team as well. It's, it's Debbie Yagler, the, the CEO, and, and Becky Eldridge, the orchestral manager, as well as David and, and all the other people who work there. Everyone is so dedicated, which you get in small teams, don't you? Um, and, uh, yeah, you just feel their energy. Um, there's a terrific can-do attitude. And in fact, if, if anybody hasn't heard of them, definitely go and check them out. Go and, um, go and look at their website. They've got some great stuff that they've been releasing lately, some wonderful recordings. Um, very, very innovative, very imaginative. Again, David LePage at the helm of it all. So um, really go and check them out. And thank you, uh, Oots, as we affectionately call them. We, we love you. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Bye.